Hello everyone and welcome to the File Room Podcast, a podcast about the X-Files. That is also a desperate attempt to reconnect a friendship across the Atlantic. I'm Edwin Davis. And I'm Michaela Livingston-Banks. If you're new to the X-Files or watching it for the 10th time, watch along with us while we explore the dark corners of the American psyche. Via a TV show from the 90s. So, Michaela, uh, how's it going? I think we can let people behind the curtain a little bit here. This is the first episode of the podcast that we're recording after people have actually started hearing it. Episodes mm-hmm. have started going out. How how are you feeling about everything? How are you feeling about the, the response to the podcast so far? It's been really positive. I'm grateful mm-hmm. for the people who have listened to it and not been too negative about the shoddy editing and whatnot <laughs> we're trying here people we're trying no it's been really good and um i've actually been really surprised by the number of people who are like oh i've just started watching the x-files like mm. just completely independently and uh and it's just like oh great then you can listen to this and they've at least said they're up for it and other people who have listened to it and said really nice things really positive things yeah it's been good it's been good and it's otherwise been you know a nice a nice first kind of proper week back at work and had a very gentle weekend compared to last weekend so yeah how about you how, how have you found the reception you you can actually get on twitter which i up until now mm-hmm. have been able to so <laughs> yeah it's it's been uh, really nice a few people have reached out to me saying that they've been listening to it and they've been really enjoying it which is very lovely thank you to everyone who has done that and yeah rated it and reviewed it and things like that and if you're listening to this yeah but we we plug that at the end but yeah if you could rate and review that's always great that really helps get the word out there and yeah it's just been very very nice in general i also you and i were talking a little bit before we started about how we're starting to notice more people talking about the x-files as well and i'm not sure how much of that is just that thing like when you hear a a phrase for the first time and then you Mm. start noticing it everywhere and it's just like oh it's a thing people say but i never heard it it's like maybe people were always sort of talking about the x-files all the time on like an ambient level but Mm. i was not paying attention to it because i wasn't having to think about the x-files and talk about it on a weekly basis but that certainly Feels nice in terms of making me thinking, okay, yeah, there's probably an audience for this. <laughs> people who will be thinking it would be fun to hear two people talk about the X-Files on a weekly basis, which is always a concern when starting a new venture like this. Yeah. Well, the question that I, and I'm sure everyone else is interested to know, Ed, is how many movies have you watched this week? Yes. As we talked about last week, one of my very stupid ideas for this year is to try and watch a thousand movies because i saw some people had logged that many on letterbox for the year and i'm currently at 50 whoa uh, and for, for people's references it's currently the 14th of january so <laughs> and and i will say a lot of them are short films i have been watching i watched basically all of the significant works of the pioneering avant-garde and queer filmmaker kenneth anger which was uh, really good really interesting he made some really interesting and great and influential movies and then i also watched a bunch of films by maya Deren, who is also a kind of like avant-garde filmmaker from the mid 20th century uh, who made a lot of brilliant movies one of which meshes of the afternoon is 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 fantastic a great sort of eerie dreamlike short that uh, is a big influence on people like david lynch so 
that has helped pad the numbers a little bit, but also like these are filmmakers whose work I have been meaning to watch for a long time. So I don't feel like I'm cheating or anything. I am, I am like sitting down and being like, okay, if I have to try and reach this absurd number over the course of the year, then filling in a bunch of blank spots for filmmakers I've wanted to check out seems like a, a, a noble way of doing that. Absolutely. As to just working, watching absolute shit or whatever. Just, <laughs> just, just to get to a thousand over the course of the year. But yeah, so far, setting a good pace and not totally burnt out on watching movies. Oh, so. well, that was going to be my next question is, <laughs> are you enjoying it? Yeah, definitely. Like, like say, I say, those those short films, it helps with the short. The, mm. You know, you watch, you watch something that's only 15 minutes to half an hour long. Like, it's hard to feel like you're like really burning the midnight oil, oil on this stuff. But no, like it's been, it's still so far very fun. And I think as as long as I keep to this sort of pace where it's like a feature every so often and then, you know, fill in the gaps with short films, it'll probably be pretty sustainable. Not sure how it will get when I'm at like, I don't know, like 600 films <laughs> and like there aren't any more significant experimental filmmakers who only make short <laughs> films left for me to kind of work through. But so far... It's going well. Well, yeah, I, it is interesting. You're sort of picking someone, filmmaker, director, whoever. Like my my usual approach, if I'm getting a bit bored of trying to choose things to watch and there doesn't seem to be much on, is to choose an actor. And mm. I don't know if you remember, but I've we did Gyllenhaal Palooza, so right, I've watched all of all of Jake Gyllenhaal's, all of them, Bubble Boy included. Um, I don't know if you've seen that one, but that's a doozy. The next one we started, but kind of come a cropper with because not all of them are kind of really available is Robin Williams. Yeah. But blessed is AI in as much as I today got an email, I think, from Prime being like, just added. I think it was Man of the Year. It's just, mm. Is that what it's called? It's just been added. So I'm like, great, we'll watch that. But you'll be saddened to know, and I'm very sorry, even though I'm not the one who set a target, but I have watched zero movies this week, despite my best intentions to uh, be there for, you know, moral support. And at mm -hmm. least also because there are movies, I have a list of movies I do want to watch, but I just, just been binging trashy TV shows, I'll be honest. <laughs> Well, we're covering, I feel like we're covering the entirety of the cultural beat <laughs> between the two of us. You, you modern day, trashy, reality television, me, mid 20th century experimental avant-garde cinema. Like between those two poles, I think we've got everything covered. Yeah, I suppose we should probably talk about the TV show <laughs> we're meant to be talking <laughs> about. Yeah, you're going to talk us through what happens in this episode. Yes, so this week we're talking about episode 5 of season 1 of The X-Files, Jersey Devil. After a cold open set in 1947, in which a family are driving through the Pine Barrens of New Jersey and the father is attacked and dragged into the woods by something, which proceeds to eat him and is then killed by a bunch of old-timey policemen. Mulder and Scully head to New Jersey themselves in the present day to investigate a similar case in which a, a homeless person was similarly, like, dragged into the woods of the Pine Barrens outside of Atlantic City and partly eaten and found. After being stonewalled by the local police, Scully decides to go back to DC because she has other things to do, including going to Godson's birthday party and eventually go on a date. But Mulder decides he's going to hang around and try his luck, not at the casinos, but 
living on the streets as a homeless person <laughs> to see if he can find that whatever is doing this and which he discovers to be quote unquote the jersey devil we'll we'll get into that a little bit but watch is actually a kind of cannibalistic humanoid creature which is maybe like an a, a offshoot of humanity that just lives in the woods and feasts on people yeah, there's not much else like that. You know, they they eventually track down the 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 creatures doing it. Mulder realizes it's a woman in a very funny scene that we'll, I'm sure we'll discuss in a second. Who is then killed by the police, and then the episode ends with there a a child version of these kind of like humanoid creatures in the woods looking around. Yeah, so that's that's the the episode uh, in brief. What did what did you think of this episode, Mikhail? <laughs> Just to get side, I have a lot of thoughts on this. But I what, have, what do you think? I first? also have a lot of thoughts. What did I think? Oh gosh, where to even start? I thought the first time I watched it, there were a lot of kind of sort of laugh out loud moments, which I'm not mm-hmm. sure were intended to. Some of them were definitely intended to be laugh out loud moments, but some of them I'm not sure were intended to be funny. And it 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 was kind of like why is this an x-file i guess i spent a lot of time wondering why it was an x-file but i warmed to it the second time i watched it through and actually paused to think about some of the the kind of more expositional things that were being said and i was like okay this sort of makes sense so like i did and did not enjoy it i and and maybe it was a pacing thing i don't know you'll probably have much better informed views on such things and and obviously it was saying a couple of things one was about womanhood femininity mm. and the mm. other was about you know just human nature and the evolution of it or de-evolution of it in western society and that kind of thing too so there's stuff to unpick the plot and I have to say, it's a good thing Mulder is so kind of charismatic as a character because otherwise I I, I feel like I'm just like, dear God, you have lost your mind, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I've said a lot of things there and I'm not really sure where to start and I'm hoping talking to you and hearing your thoughts might help sort them out a bit. What were your thoughts? So I think one of the, the things that I think really clarified this for me was I, I saw a tweet when I was just kind of like looking at general reactions to this episode is someone saying someone tweeted several years ago like where it was basically there are serious episodes of the X-Files and there are goofy episodes of the X-Files and it's important that you know that the one where Mulder Drews draws boobs on <laughs> on a Bigfoot is a serious episode and yeah. I think that 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 kind of gets to it to me which I think it's, it's an episode that is like you say it's kind of about fairly weighty things yeah. like it's about human nature but like the actual thing it's about is kind of ham-fisted I was reading about the production about this how the episode was inspired by Chris Carter who wrote it yeah. he read a article about ants by E.O. Wilson who was a kind of anthropologist socio-anthropologist I believe is his his technical term Mm -hmm. and it got him thinking about the question of whether or not mankind has a death wish and like there there are there there are things that are explored in this and I I think it's he kind of weaves that in in different ways like Mm. when Mulder's his when Scully is at her godson's birthday party and he's she's talking to her sister or is it just a friend friend friend. just a friend yeah yeah her friend 
and like they're, they're talking about like oh, how hard it is to date when you're a working woman and all that sort of stuff and she says you know you know Good men are disappearing faster than the Brazilian rainforest, mm-hmm. which, is a, which, it, which is, is a very '90s concern and, and a present-day concern. But like that yeah. certainly feels like a lot of things in the '90s were about the rainforest, from my memory. So like, there's clearly th- things about that kind of sprinkled throughout the episode, but the actual plot of it is, is quite goofy. Mm-hmm. Their depiction of the kind of the Jersey Devil, as they refer to her, uh, played by Claire Stansfield is cheap (laughs) it's it's like just a normal looking woman with dirty makeup on essentially so it's not that impressive as 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 creature stuff goes and i think just in general like you say there is that sense of like there is there is something kind of x-filesy about it and i think there are interesting things going on like as well the fact that so much is about Mulder going on the streets of Atlantic City amongst the homeless population. So there is this kind of thing. There is this this theme about the sort of periphery of society being forgotten and just being kind of left to the become prey, essentially, of yeah. this creature. But I, I don't think it really is as horrifying, as scary as it needs to be. And that kind of undercuts its its central point. I, I don't think it's I, I in. Uh, Monsters of the Week, Emily St. James says this is like the first bad episode of The X-Files. And I think that's a little strong, but also I'm thinking about it. I just think like there are worse episodes in The X-Files than this. Yeah. But it's certainly it's certainly like the weakest of this initial run of ones that we've talked about so far. Well, um, yeah, because certainly for the last one, Conduit, mm-hmm. at least it had the saving grace of having some really heartfelt, meaningful... Yeah things around Mulder's character and his experience and everything like that and and how that was all kind of treated whereas this for Scully is like I don't know it doesn't have the same feel for me in that sense at all and Mm. like maybe we can dig into the experience of womanhood and and things like that but it, it felt to me like maybe it was saying stuff but it wasn't really saying too many properly deep things about any of it like you could Apparently, Chris Carter had said about it being set in Atlantic City was because he felt like that was a good kind of illustration of like the breakdown of Western civilization or something like Mm. that. I'd have to find the the specific quote. And in which case, the fact that this person, uh, you know, this creature, the, the Jersey Devil, you know, going after homeless people and the fact that it wasn't really being looked into... And the reason why it was being not being looked into is because it's a very, very small conspiracy by the police to not want to like upend the casino tourism trade or whatever. Like, you know, it's out there. I got a perpetrator out there. Whether it's Hannibal Cannibal or Elmer Fudd, I've got a job to protect people. Oh, is that your job? Or is it to keep the dice rolling, keep the tour buses rolling in? You can't fill those casinos. This town disappears like a quarter down the slot. It was just like, oh, you you could have done something more with that and said mm. more about that. What I will say, and I'm becoming increasingly aware of the more that I'm kind of watching this and thinking deeply about it and, you know, reading interviews and listening to other things is that, and, and I think you mentioned it as well, like they were making a million episodes mm-hmm. in short <laughs> periods of time. So like... And I, and I think they did have an intention to keep a lot open for debate and mystery and stuff in a lot of cases. But equally, 
they were working on the fly. I don't know if they had that much time to think too deeply about these things. It would be like a mm. what if kind of question. And good sci-fi always centers around a really good, simple what if question. They just didn't detail it much after that, I think. Yeah, it definitely feels like, but also I think this episode in terms of the Scully stuff, it does feel like it's a little bit at cross purposes because it, I think Chris Carter said that there what this what they wanted to do with this episode was to kind of open Scully up a bit more as a yeah. character because obviously mostly we've or entirely we've only really seen her in the context of being at work mm-hmm. so wanted to give a sense oh she's got this broader life they also wanted I think to give a sense of what she is giving up by being so committed to the FBI and mm-hmm. to the X-Files in particular in that respect it kind of has an interesting Counterpoint in Squeeze, where in Squeeze, so much of of Squeeze is about how she is risking kind of professional failure Mm. by 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 siding with Mulder and kind of following him wherever he wants to go. And this is more about kind of like, you know, if she's committed to this, she can't have fine time for a personal life. But I don't think the way it handles that half of things is is that compelling. Like, I we talked about how in the pilot originally she had a boyfriend, Mm -hmm. and it's probably for the best that they cut the boyfriend from the pilot because that pilot is already so stacked. But you do, looking back on it, you do wonder if in this early going, if she had had a boyfriend who was there in the background over multiple episodes and you kind of saw that cost examined that way or literalized that way, that would be a little more compelling than this episode where she goes to a birthday party (laughs) where she meets a guy played by... Andrew Arley, who is a character actor who's in like a million things and looks mm. exactly like California Governor Gavin Newsom, which I find very off-putting because um, that guy's <laughs> that guy scares me. Okay, he, he's got he's got real American psycho energy. Oh dear! <laughs> but like, so she goes to a birthday party and then she has a date with a boring guy. It's like it, it doesn't really kind of have the the tension that I think they really want to go for. Where in terms of like what she's giving up by all this working all this these hours with the x-files and spending all their time with Mulder. so can i ask about the case you're on or can't you say i don't think it's a case we should discuss over dinner i don't suppose you'd want to hear about the finer points of estate planning and taxation it, uh, you know, at best, you could say it kind of reaffirms like, oh, yeah, I can see why she would like to hang out with this guy all the time. He seems more interesting <laughs> than the other people. But that's not dramatically like interesting and, and kind of makes you feel like there was a bit of a wasted opportunity there, especially because also this is the first episode that like splits them up mm. for a considerable length of time. Like they're split up a little bit in deep throat, but it's only like for like 10 minutes, whereas this is like the entire middle section of the episode. Basically, they aren't together. And I feel like you do lose a lot when it's just one of them and not without the other, which is also why, like, looking slightly ahead, I think one of the worst episodes of these early seasons is one called Three, which is where Mulder's in LA for the entire episode and Scully's not really around. I think that that is something that kind of hurts a lot of episodes when you don't have them bouncing off of each other. Yeah, and I don't know if then that, is why Mulder was so convinced by a drawing from a homeless man that looked like Mm. it had been drawn by a child of like, oh gosh, you know, this kind of Neanderthal-like creature is real. Who just looks like Andrew WK. Yeah, it looks like... (laughs) Yeah, no offense, Andrew WK. (laughs) 
it's definitely Tom how he Hardy. used to look. He slimmed down a lot more. Back when he was really <laughs> bulky, he looks exactly like the picture in this episode. Well, and when it's time to party, Andrew <laughs> WK will party hard. And when it's time to commit hard by sleeping rough <laughs> to do your investigation, Mulder will definitely do that. But yeah, yeah just just stick on like the, the Scully side of things for a moment because as a woman of a certain age, like it does bug me a little bit if the only thing or the place you start with with a female character is like well you're gonna be a mum and it's like Mm, oh mm -hmm. but you're turning away from that and that's kind of how i interpreted you know it's both the fact that like she goes on this date with this guy he's getting divorced he has a child and she kind of could go down this route of becoming like an accidental stepmom or something anyway like of having a child and a family and obviously she's speaking to her friend Ellen about how like you know she doesn't think she's cut out for it and you know the friend's like oh Stephen, you of course cut you out for yourself Dana you went through the FBI academy what better training could there be for motherhood seriously you're great with kids what are you talking about when am I supposed to find the time well first you have to get a life and of course it helps if you can find a man you know of any yes they're disappearing faster than the Brazilian rainforest what about that guy you work with Mulder? Yeah, I thought you said he was cute. He's a jerk. He's not a jerk. He's um, he's obsessed with his work. But it just like it's just like women have other experiences other than like worrying and thinking about having children, or if it's the first like. So that kind of bugs me a little bit. Having said that, also as a woman of a certain age, and Scully is significantly younger than me in this but it but it is actually such a big thing that surrounds like being a woman these days like it's on social media as well as in tv and from your friends and family this kind of like expectation that oh Mm. you're a woman therefore you're going to bear child and you're gonna have a family like literally the morning of my wedding day someone was asking me like so how long are you going to wait before having children as opposed to do you want to have children? Which is a very personal question to ask anyway. But mm. the assumption is always there. So on the one hand, I'm kind of annoyed by it. On the other hand, I'm like, well, actually, that is a lot of <laughs> being a woman. So anyway, my interpretation was both that she's like choosing her career, but in some way she's walking away from that that specific kind of turning point of like children and things like that. And a thing that I've kind of discovered more this week, I was re- I was aware that, that this was a thing, but I've I kind of went down a bit of a rabbit hole this week, is a lot of people are really invested in whether or not Mulder and Scully want to bone each other. Mm. <laughs> or have a relationship, I should say, more softly. And like, there are camps. There's like the shippers, as they're called, and the no-romos, <laughs> which... I and I and I, I yeah <laughs> and I kind of like I can see why people would also interpret like Scully's actions and being like she wants to be with Mulder even though she says that he's a jerk and whatever <laughs> in this mm-hmm. but I didn't I don't think I'd quite realized before I fell down this little rabbit hole quite deep rabbit hole about how invested people really are into whether or not they're going to get together like mm. and so i'd feel like one chris carter did say in an interview something about how rob was sort of created as a character for scully to go on a date with 
not entirely to build the sexual tension between Scully and Mulder, but certainly that was an aspect of it. But it's the first episode where I was watching it and I was like, okay, I can really see why now people might think maybe that was the case. Because I think that's, that is an interpretation you could take of that episode and how it ends and everything. Although obviously the line it finishes on. Eight million years out of Africa. Look who's holding the door. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I've done a little bit of a rant there. What do you think, Ed? (laughs) No, I I think it was definitely valuable in terms of your perspective on I well, I think the the show handles fairly clumsily. <laughs> um, I and I I think the way it plays out it kind of feels like they side with Scully in the in the sense that you know you know she shouldn't have to worry about whether or not she's going to have a family she should do what she wants mm-hmm. but yeah because it's a show that's being written primarily by men. Yes. And you know sort of men who are in their like 30s and the early 90s who have a very specific they know what feminism is yeah they're probably in favor of it they maybe don't have the 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 kind of the the nuance to really convey that so i think this episode comes across quite blunt in its handling of you know women's place in society in terms of how their life is impacted by the decision to have children and how you know that affects their ability to have a job hunting down aliens <laughs> but do you not like w- one way that that you could read okay i'm going to preface this first to say that i i definitely think and i believe that chris carter and in the future the other writers and everyone involved like had real good intentions over mm-hmm, mm-hmm. kind of the portrayal of women and and scully in particular i've like I I don't know I've never studied this but my sense is that like you know she's a fairly pi- a fairly pioneering character in TV sci-fi in particular like I can mm. reel off a number of women who I saw in sci-fis who inspired me like Captain Janeway and Seven of Nine and Captain Samantha Carter and Stargate SG One and Blana Torres and all the they're mainly from Star Trek I have to say. Uh, <laughs> And, you know, they're all in kind of jobs that you might think are, you know, male dominated and everything else. But I've, but I've, my sense is that they, they still came a bit later after Scully yeah. and things like that. So I preface this by saying that I think they had good intentions and everything else. I also, going back to the fact that I said, I really don't think they were thinking about this deeply, but in some way, by combining this thought of like a kind of, de-evolved artifact of human evolution whatever however you want to refer to it creature and it being a woman and the episode kind of revolving about women womanhood and motherhood and things like that Mm. my brain kind of went well so scully's choosing to turn away from motherhood and this kind of ancient creature whatever as we learn is a mother and is just trying to protect her child like <laughs> what are you trying to say? Are you trying to mm. say that Scully is more evolved or less evolved as a woman? Like and I and I don't think they had any intention of saying anything like that, but as a kind of clumsy side effect of putting those two things together, like my yeah. brain was just like wait, what? <laughs> Surely yeah, you're is. not making a statement either way about womanhood at Mm-hmm. about motherhood or the choice not to have children as being yeah. more or less evolved like surely not yeah it does kind of feel like a, a situation where they were like oh like these are two things 
that we can put in this episode by not necessarily thinking through the ramifications of that. Again, that comes to that kind of that clumsiness to it. And, and, and yeah, it do, I do think it is, is well-intentioned. It's just they may not necessarily have thought through how that would, how that would play. Yeah. In terms of the, the Mulder side of things, because obviously, you know, this episode is very much an episode where it's kind of bifurcated and they're off doing mm. their own things. I thought it was very funny how one, the picture that he gets from the, 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 the one of, he, you know, he goes to this essentially what is a homeless encampment in Atlantic City and he finds someone who knew the, the person who died, Randy Crockett, I believe his name was. Yeah. And, so he so he goes to, finds that guy and he says oh yeah this was where he stayed and he had this drawing and and the drawing looks like Andy WK and then Mulder like gives the guy some money and no he gives him his hotel room key so that he can get off the streets for the night which is very nice and then he you know wraps himself up in a blanket and kind of lives out on the streets to see if he can find the creature which he does what I thought was very very funny was that the next time you see him it's I guess it's implied to be later that night and he has the thickest five o'clock shadow yeah. you've ever seen which is which was just very funny to me <laughs> in terms of like continuity is like as soon as you give up your hotel room key just like immediately the beard like comes fully in uh, oh, yeah. to indicate that you must you must be homeless i um, i literally i was thinking that that is hilarious you've been out there for maybe a couple <laughs> hours maybe a few hours and your hair is a mess you're dirty you've got the beard you know five o'clock shadow going and you know the next Scully makes the the quip about well no wonder they they confused with a vagrant because yeah. <laughs> it was just like he suddenly looked like he'd been living on the street for days. I thought that the that section yeah we talked a little bit in episode zero we talked about Kolchak the Night Stalker which was a big influence on the X Files mm-hmm. that section felt very Kolchaky to me particularly the episode of Kolchak where he goes hunting for someone who is essentially Jack the Ripper come back to life which also involves him kind of like going out and about late at night and mm. uh, the Kolchak character going out late at night and then like the the Ripper like leaping kind of like great distances onto a rooftop so I thought that was quite interesting I kind of so that felt very like the, the Carter was showing his influences on his mm. uh, on his sleeves there yeah I think that half of the episode it, it could be really interesting it could be really scary i think the episode is shot quite nicely Mm -hmm. and the director was joe napolitano who directed a lot of stuff in tv and was also an assistant director for brian de palma worked on like scarface and things like that Ah. so he's so he's like a talented guy and i think he makes really good use of shadow in the sequence in which Mulder chases down the the devil quote-unquote and like they're confronting each other like it's really good use of light and shadow in that sequence yeah Uh, but yeah, I think the the actual design, because they decided that the Jersey Devil was going to be just like a a woman who's like looking disheveled, like it doesn't really have the quite the impact they were going for. Yeah, um, they did. Apparently, they spent a lot of time trying to like design this person's appearance and like but mainly it seemed like the difficulty was dealing with the nudity aspect of like the hair had to absolutely fall in just the right way so that there was like no boob or nipple on show and things like that Mm. so and like yeah i mean i don't know how how else would you treat that i mean unless making it not human because i think if you're treating this as like the equivalent of like an isolated tribe type situation then 
being nude is like the most at odds with what you would like imagine for someone in the quote unquote civilized world. Mm. Yeah, and I, I think also that kind of points to what I think is is kind of the, the and this is like real kind of like oh the book is better, but mm. like. This is not what the Jersey Devil is. No, well, I wondered where we would get onto this. Obviously, I this googled is... this. Like, yeah, the the Jersey Devil is not like the East Coast. Yeah, Bigfoot, as they say, uh-huh. it's it's like a wyvern. It's kind of like a long snake-like creature with legs and leathery wings and a goat's head. It looks really cool. It has a really, really interesting history where it's tied to like a specific family. Ah. Um, called the Leeds families, which why for a long time it's also known as the Leeds Devil, which ah. obviously is very funny for uh, the people who've lived in Sheffield. Just imagine <laughs> it's like the, the dirty Leeds Devil. Ugh. Them up north. But like, yeah, it's it's like a creature that has a history going back to the 1700s. You know, there's, there's various tribes, the Lenape tribe that lived in there, like had a legend about a creature in the, the Pine Barrens. And then the, 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 the version of it that people now know is all tied into like a specific guy, Titan Lee, who had a feud with Benjamin Franklin, and Benjamin Franklin like lied and said that he had died, and they hadn't. But then everyone said that the family was haunted. <laughs> like it's got the the the, the Wikipedia page for yeah. the Jersey Devil is like fascinating. It's got this really cool history, and then it's just like really disappointing. It's like oh, it's it's just like a person who lives in the woods. <laughs> so I think that on one level, I'm like. I'm glad they didn't try and do the real Jersey Devil with like 1993 visual effects. Yes, it, it yes. would have been it would have been terrible and really yes. bad. But part of me is like just really disappointed that that they decided that oh we're just going to ignore what is kind of like a really fascinating bit of American folklore and yeah. just be like there's this this creature that's in the that people think is in the Pine Barrens. What if we just like said oh actually it was a person. <laughs> Yeah, and in a way, it's kind of like fun to turn folklore on its head, and and mm-hmm. in that question, you know, talking about like is a thing feasible or plausible or whatever. And in this case, it's like, oh well, there could be this legend, this myth of this like ridiculous creature that looks like something out of a bad taxidermy kind of Victorian collection. Yeah, uh, you know, like a jackalope where they just add random bits and pieces of animals together. Mm. Uh, and turning it on its head and saying, well, actually, you know, there was something scary eating people in the forest, but it, it it's just, it's just a, a person, you know, human, Neanderthal, whatever. And maybe there's a bit of fun in that, but like, Ed, can you imagine like, <laughs> like what would they have done? Like some sort of plasticine stop motion? Like probably, probably a puppet. I, I assume there would be some sort. There would be some sort of puppetry there. I'm imag- just imagining something like the Skeksis from um, the Dark Crystal. You know, get the Jim Henson company mm. in there. They they probably could have done something fun. It just would have been like really un X Filesy and yeah. probably a, a little too big of a swing for this early in the series run if they were to do that. Yeah, but equally, given that we're dealing with like the dark corners of a city and stuff, like surely mm. you could have used suggestion and the darkness and yeah. things like that. Cause like we haven't seen any aliens yet, Ed. Like they could no. have done an awful lot with suggestion, probably, and it not been this kind of like weird idea of like some sort of hangover de-evolved human situation you you actually read that wikipedia page i looked at the picture and just went what the 
<laughs> <laughs> that is some weirdo animal right there. Yeah. I, I think also, like, I, I think what is more annoying to me is because, like, I, I've always really had, like, a, a real interest in cryptozoology. Like, from a, as a kid, like, I was mad into Bigfoot and mm-hmm. Yeti and things mm-hmm. like that. And any t- the Chupacabra. Yeah. Any time there was, like, a story about some weird little freak that people claim existed in some part of the world, that like, I would want to read about it. And I think what annoys me about that is there isn't any, like, acknowledgement of that. Like, the the, the, the one reference to the, the notion that the Jersey Devil is a thing that's been around for a long time is is Scully saying, I was, like, an East, East Coast Bigfoot or whatever. And, like, yeah. that's totally not what the Jersey Devil has ever been in any yeah. imagining. So, like, I, part of me is thinking, like, oh, it would be nice if, like, they had had a thing where they talked more about what the, the history of the Jersey Devil is and, and, like, kind of shine a light on this really interesting piece of like of american folklore before then moving into the sense of like oh actually what it all was was you know it was cannibalistic humans living in the forest in this case it's just kind of like they, they there isn't that middle step and i think that's what i think hurts it but also in terms of the broader like mission statement i guess of the x-files is that one of the things it is really good at is is it is really good at taking this dis these disparate bits of mythology and folklore and kind of bringing them to the surface mm-hmm. and then kind of putting their own spin on it and here it, it doesn't really do that it just kind of like takes a name that people maybe have heard of and then just applies it to an entirely different concept yeah so yeah so i think that also kind of hurts it. and maybe you think if, if Moller and scully weren't split up that would have been the version of the episode that you would do is that they would they would Mulder would be talking about all the different thing ways in which people have interpreted the Jersey Devil. Scully would be skeptical and say, you know, like a you know, like a snake like beast with wings, that seems ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh and then and then it becomes like, oh actually there's like these these things feasting on on people. Yeah. Um in, instead it just kind of feels overall the episode just kind of feels very like there's a lot of disconnected things all being explored. Yeah. Um, they just need to focus more, don't they? Mm. That's really it. Yeah, I know they didn't spend a lot of time together in the investigation and stuff, but I still like when the, how when they did spend time together, Scully was essentially goading Mulder or making fun of Mulder about mm-hmm. the fact that it was like, this thing is just completely ridiculous. It's a made up children's story yeah. um, and things like that. And she takes him to see the anthropologist guy, Dr. Diamond, Professor Diamond. And, you know, this is where this whole thing about like, oh, essentially what he's saying is like, oh, it's... We humans have retained hereditary traits through evolution that have proven to be extremely destructive. We tend to be tribal and aggressively territorial, oriented by selfish sexual and reproductive drives that make cooperation beyond the family or tribe extremely Um, hard for us. And Mulder is asking questions like a toddler, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think more people should just be more curious and ask more questions. But I did, I did really enjoy it when you know Mulder was saying, "But would it, could it be possible through some fluke of nature, you know, that there's there's a, a creature who's kind of like not as evolved or whatever?" And the dude's response is just like. Well, it's unlikely, but I suppose in in the realms of extreme possibility, and that's that's satisfying enough for Mulder. Um, mm. And so, like, as well, when Scully's saying, "Oh, she heard these stories as a kid," 
towards the beginning of the episode and Mulder's like, oh, I heard those stories too. Funnily enough, I believed them. And it's like, mm-hmm. clear, there you go. You'll believe anything, Mulder, including what a homeless man has drawn on a piece of paper. Yeah. I think another funny bit, again, like the the scenes of them together in the episode like do have that quite spark to it. I do like it when she comes to bail him out of prison after yeah. the, out of the drunk tank where they're they're sat at the table and she said... Uh, well, I have to get back to Washington by 7.30, so... Another birthday party? No. I have a date. Can you castle? Unlike you, Mulder, I would like to have a life. I have a life. And there's this really funny thing where it cuts from a close-up of him to like a two-shot of them sat together. And it just really emphasised the fact that he looks like really disheveled. Yeah. He's, he's clearly not slept. And the, it, that's just a very funny, in terms of things in the episode that are like meant to be funny, but that's a very funny joke that I think they sell really well with that with that delivery and that edit. Yeah, it's in like, how's of- that life going, Mulder? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you slept on the street uh, and now you're in jail <laughs> yeah i have to say like i did love absolutely love the that kind of sequence where you know he's he's called her up to to get him out of of the drunk tank mm-hmm. and and she's like you're in the drunk tank she's this alert and there's just this shot of this like person and uh, the dude sat on a desk next to her just shoots her this look like what it's like <laughs> you're not helping Mulder's reputation by announcing this in the middle of uh, an office but uh, yeah i i chortled a lot at that and there's another good bit where she's on her boring date with rob and she gets a page and she has to go and answer the phone and yeah like th- there's some fun stuff there of just like her being like yeah the date's not going to well. yeah. no I'll, I'll give it up and go and see whatever it is that you're doing and she does look very nice in like the white kind of like top she's got today she like she really does clean up nicely for, uh, <laughs> for the date does does scully i um, not not to to comment too much on like scully's wardrobe in this episode but it was much more colorful mm-hmm, yeah. than it has been because like she, she was wearing like a strawberry red pink shirt with a blue skirt suit thing in the beginning and obviously she's got like dressed... a waistcoat on when yeah. she's at the party and I'm like, are these like really purposeful choices? Like, is she purposefully mm. wearing white? So it's like wedding bells and like, I don't know how purposeful these decisions were, but if they were, then, you know, that's uh, some, you know, I'll get, I'll the, give the, the wardrobe people juice. Yeah. I, I think it probably also has like some of that sense of, like, again, if they're trying to open up her character a bit more to an mm. audience, where it's like, we're going to show her in things that aren't just kind of like the power suit that she's Brown always suits, walking yeah. around also i just remembered in terms of the the birthday party she is the the dog that is absolutely going to town <laughs> yes. on the birthday cake is very funny it really is having the time of its life yeah. getting to devour a birthday cake oh man um, i wanted to be that dog it was yeah <laughs> H- head sideways just go like, like just really tearing it to pieces Slam my face into that cake yeah I think this is also, there's a few firsts in this episode, which I thought was interesting. I think this, this is the first one that uses a flashback because all the other ones kind of, they're uh, all contemporaneous yes. to whatever's happening. Whereas this one, obviously, there's a flashback to the 40s. Why um, do you think they did that rather than show like the homeless person being mauled or whatever? Like, what, what, why do you think it was important that we knew that this went back to 47? I think it was. So I think one of the themes that the show explores a little bit in this episode, and I think it explores more in better episodes, 
is the idea of modernity kind of encroaching on and kind of snuffing out the mystery of the world. Mm. And if you're looking at like America post-war, like there's a huge expansion of cities into a lot of like the Pine Barrens. Like the Pine Barrens has mostly been untouched, but you do see a lot of like a lot of development in cities across America. Obviously the road system becomes more extensive after that. So I think it's to kind of emphasize the sense that you know these people have existed in these woods for you know centuries you know millennia maybe and because the world the, the modern world is getting bigger and it is kind of like encroaching on their space that means they have to like go out and hunt people mm-hmm. so i think it's i think it's kind of meant to explore that also i think you do need it's kind of similar to squeeze again where like the interesting thing about Squeeze is it's like these these events that have happened over multiple years, like many, many decades. And so like you something where a homeless person has died and maybe someone has gnawed on them. <laughs> they have been eaten by a person. That's obviously quite strange, but it's not yeah. necessarily something that the X-Files would be interested in. But if it's something where Mulder can say, well, you know, there have been these events over many years, then like it's it then sort of falls more under their purview so i think it it serves dual purposes yeah i suppose Mulder does need a reason to reach into his filing cabinet when scully walks in on him reading porn that was the other that was the other first thing i think this is the first acknowledgement of his his interest in pornography which um (laughs) i always thought was a very interesting character quirk they give to someone on a network television program considering that that's something that most network television either doesn't mention or it's used as like it's used as evidence in police procedurals that someone's like a, a freak who's clearly going to murder people so i thought that, that that this is the first instance of that and yeah it's it's a weird it's a weird quirk they give him but um, well, you know an it one. was important research he was doing mm-hmm. and allows for too. a funny joke working hard Muller. This woman claims to have been taken aboard a spaceship and held in an anti-gravity chamber without food and water for three days. Anti-gravity is right. Did, I, did anything else from this episode like really stand out to you? I think the soundtrack, there were some... Mm-hmm. I, I feel like there are motifs that Mark Snow uses for different sorts of episodes and different sorts of settings and things like that. And so I feel like this is the first time... I was aware of hearing like the kind of very folky, tribally, pan flutey um, kind of noise, which is all, you know, it always seems to be used when there's kind of something a bit more folksy or indigenous yeah. or, or something to denote that sort of thing, as well as the kind of weird, creepy, it, like it's, it's like a vocal... Mm. Um, sound synthetic vocal sound and that always seems to be used around about kind of more human but spiritual related things so like yeah in in a way again it's this thing of like the soundtrack of like often you don't really notice it but it sets up an expectation of like what's going on so like i sort of noted those kind of things there was a quote from chris carter i suppose it's going back to the 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 kind of dealing with womanhood and femininity and whatever else but like mm. to deal 
with that, I'm not even sure what this means. I might edit this out because I just don't know what to make of it. He said, <laughs> in, in relation to this, he said, and I think for a lot of women, the man's world is much more interesting than a woman's world. And I was just like, what? What does that even mean? What are you trying to say? That women aren't interested in their own shit? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 in not trying to like psychoanalyze him too much, but I think... <laughs> I, I think what he is trying to get at is if you're talking about like women having a more presence in the work workplace from the like sixties and seventies onwards, like they're being allowed into spaces that previously they hadn't occupied so much, and so that has an inherent interest to it because it's something that you know previous generations of women hadn't really seen that much. But when, when yeah, describe it's very, that as it's very the weird. man's world, yeah. I'd just say the opening up of opportunities. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, it, it, it may it maybe is like just kind of like a slightly flippant way of trying to engage with like a broader broader topic, which I think is also kind of like a good summary of some of the problems with this episode. One thing I really liked about the ending of this episode is so, you know, they've managed Mulder and Scully you sort of like reunite and they try and track down the the, the Jersey Devil mm-hmm. and they end up chasing her through the Pine Barrens along with a bunch of sort of police from the Sheriff's Department. Mm-hmm. She, the, the Jersey Devil ends up getting killed and Mulder confronts the police chief at the end. Why'd you have to kill her? Same reason you kill a rabid animal. I, again, I think this ties in nicely to the notion of like modernity killing like the mystery and myster- the mysterious and the strange and the folkloric because like i think one of the things that's really nice about Mulder is like he is on one level he is like kind of like a good noble law enforcement officer in the kind of like the mm-hmm. best american tradition of someone who wants to get justice for people mm-hmm. he is also like something of an anthropologist himself where he is someone who like is interested in like the weird things he likes that the world is strange and he mm-hmm. wants to understand it and i do really feel for the way that Duchovny plays the kind of the hurt mm-hmm. that he feels that when the when the devil is killed because you know i'm not entirely sure what his what he thought the end game of this whole situation was because you you can't really allow creatures to be out killing people (laughs) um and for you know but like clearly like i don't know maybe they would have captured her alive and they could have studied her and things like that and and learn more i think clearly here to him the situation ending with her being dead and the then no longer being anything else that they can explore and learn about it is is like a real tragedy to him. And I think Duchovny really sells that. Yeah, I think so. And something I think I'm picking up on this watch through already, which I haven't really picked up in the past, is how much more kind of empathetic and, and kind of not judgmental Mulder mm. is towards these people and creatures and whatever else everyone else is like well they're eating people or they're killing people but he he kind of like talks about the kind of like a natural drive or like you know it's just a given that this person or whatever is going to act in this kind of way but there's not there's not really any judgment to it and he seems to care as well so that's quite interesting like you do you do wonder like what 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 could they have done with this woman creature? Let's call her a woman. She's a woman. Like, 
had she been found alive and things like that because like the little the little bit of reading that i sort of was like oh are there are there are there still people groups of people living you know isolated lives i mean not just amish people away from technology but like really isolated from the rest of society civilization different civilization however we want to refer to it and like obviously Mm. there are quite a lot of tribes in central and south america and there's like an island in the indian ocean as well and it seems like a lot of the way that they treat these groups is to respect their desire to be isolated and stuff like that so not to extrapolate massively but like i do think it's like quite nice that there are groups of people who are managing to live the kind of you know natural lives and not mix and part of it is because you know they'd probably get killed by our germs as has been Mm. the case in the past actually for quite a lot of them so (laughs) for the sake of not killing them yeah but the the other sort of thought i had when i was thinking about this was about kind of science moving on and things like that because i think this was also partly inspired by an anthropologist who had said that the first the first genocide was the killing off of the neanderthals but as i understand it re- reasonably sort of recent evidence suggests that like the neanderthals weren't so much as killed out as Homo sapiens and Neanderthals kind of more mixed together. I yeah. mean, maybe we outcompeted, but and so I'm reasonably sure. I, I should have probably looked this up beforehand, but I will do afterwards. There are tests, like I think these at-home consumer genetics ancestry tests, like where you can see how much quote unquote Neanderthal you are. Mm. But yeah, apparently you can see it in our genetics. Not just because of evolution, because, you know, we split off, whatever. Anyway, apparently you can see it in some people's genetics that, you know, we didn't so much as just entirely annihilate Neanderthals as much as, like, intermingle and co-breed and whatever with them. Yeah, anyway. that uh, There's going to be countless things in the X-Files where the science will have most definitely moved on since the mm-hmm. 90s, I hope. Pagers, for example, we don't use those anymore. Yeah, in, in terms of old technology. Yeah. That that's one of I think pages, they're kind of like fax machines. They're a kind of technology where I was obviously obviously we were alive for when they were in use, but ne- didn't necessarily have, no. like, have to use them when we were children. And by the time we were adults, they had been supplanted. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Though Ed, this is another brag of mine. We had a fax machine at home. So oh. I in fact did use a fax machine for lols honestly the things you can play with as a child i can't remember who i sent faxes to maybe i sent silly faxes to my dad at work i don't know but i did i did use a fax machine so yeah we had one my my parents had a fax machine for the business for for one of the pubs Mm -hmm. but i think in my memory it was only for like a brief window of time right there was like three or four years where it was useful for them to be able to fax documents to people and then email came along and Mm. they were like and suddenly everyone they worked with sent stuff via email and it just kind of sat there gathering dust and never really used it for anything else but i I, it was never a situation where i needed to use it for anything real and you know just like as a as a kid just kind of like pushing the buttons because it's (laughs) because it's fun to push in buttons it is fun pushing buttons yeah for sure yeah, I liked I liked playing with the fax machine because, you know, 
roleplay is even better if you have real play. Mm. Mm. You can't have a roleplay post office or business if you're not sending faxes. So, yeah. Yeah. I feel like we have to circle back to the breasted Bigfoot. Yes, we, we, we briefly mentioned it. So this is undoubtedly the funniest thing in the episode, <laughs> which is Mulder's realization that the creature they're chasing, which they had assumed to be male, is in fact not, is in fact a woman, which is at one point he's in his office and he phones up Scully. And this, in fact, I think maybe when he phones her on her date. Yes, I think this she's is on the, a date is... and she gets paged and then she calls him yeah. back. And then he, the, so the camera starts looking at him and you can see he's holding a piece of paper. And then he says, the thing that really sets us off is he just says, just had an amazing thought. <laughs> <laughs> and then it, the camera pans around and you see that he is holding this picture of a Bigfoot, which they had, I think had been shown earlier in the episode. And he has just, he's just drawn some knockers on it. <laughs> and it is, it's just, it's such a funny image. And like I say, uh, so when we talk about it, early on it is funnier because the episode around it is like so otherwise very serious and straight faced and it is just one of the most it's just one of the weirdest moments certainly in this early run of the show of yeah we talked in the previous episode about like the big boo moments that they always used like Mm -hmm. to end and act on to kind of make people say oh what's gonna happen now and uh, that's just it wasn't subtle was it it wasn't <laughs> subtle like this this came on and john just went check out the rack on her <laughs> it, it sort of gave me vibes of when um president trump drew a hur- like an extra bit of a on the hurricane to make it look like mm. it wasn't going where everyone said it was going with like marker pen and it was just yeah. like yeah no like who drew this like come on <laughs> was it yeah was it was it just Mulder sitting there looking at his his prized Bigfoot photo picture that he's got and just think, hmm, maybe. Yeah, his porno mag was too far away, so he just <laughs> kind of like drew on the boobs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's it's so, it's such a silly moment in an episode that is not silly by design. <laughs> it really isn't. Uh, do you have like a favorite visual moment? From the episode? Yeah. Well, that's, that's very high up. That's very high up. I do I do enjoy the 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 picture of the of the, the, the creature that Mulder gets shown. Again, because it just looks like Andrew WK. <laughs> I don't I, I do I like we mentioned earlier, I do think that the the lighting during the scene where Mulder kind of confronts the the devil in like a boiler room i think that is really well shot it's really kind of atmospheric and it's just one of those things where you think i this would be really good in if the rest of the episode leading up to that moment was a little better mm. yeah i think that that's the sequence that i think is the is the best although when he's chasing after her there is like a moment where he like rolls into frame he just and there's no indication of why he would be doing that it's just like a thing people do in tv to indicate that there's a chase going on he's jumped out Um, a window you know there was at least a 12 inch drop so yeah so that's quite funny just imagining in the way that austin powers would shout judo shop imagining Mm -hmm. Mulder just shouting action roll Oh, yeah. Scully gets to do it too, though, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, part of the standard FBI training. That's yeah. what you learn at the Academy. So what would you what would you rate this episode out of 10? I think even though I did warm to it, I still think it might be around a 5 for me. I, I don't know. Like, it, yeah. it felt like it should have been more scary. I think that's it. And 
maybe it could have dealt with various things better, if not more deeply, just better. How yeah, I'm I, I'm I'm totally with you there. I, I'm thinking it's in the sort of four or five range. Probably lean more towards four because I yeah. do think that it is. I it has a lot of big ideas that it's exploring, and I think there are like fragments in there of concepts and ideas that it would the show would explore better in the years ahead yeah but it, this one does feel like it's it's all a little bit half-baked but you know it's not it's certainly not like bottom of the barrel in terms of like the worst episodes the show would do it just kind of falls somewhere in the in the middle yeah oh well there's some great episodes coming up this series mm. so you gotta have the the good the bad to appreciate the good and vice versa <laughs> yeah absolutely and we've still managed to talk for a reasonable amount of time about it. So there you go. That's the first surprise. I didn't think. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, what can we say? But there yeah. you go. Yeah. Well, we would both log on and be like, uh, it's kind of, kind, of, kind of a dumb one. <laughs> kind of a dumb episode. But... It is a dumb episode. If you've enjoyed this episode of the show, then please subscribe to us on anywhere you get a podcast. Uh, please rate us, review us. It's the best way to help us grow our audience. Our music is by Leon Casio. And we'll be back next week where we'll be talking about the episode Shadows, which uh, I think is a good one. It's Ghost. Yeah. I believe it's Ghost in that one. Or are there? We'll find out. Um, <laughs> but until then, it's goodbye for me. And me.